welcome to Twintopia, the podcast about all things twins. I'm Julie. And I'm Katie. And we are identical twins. So today's episode, we interview Dr. Nancy Siegel, who is a twin expert. She's so, so good. So I was really impressed that Katie, that you were able to not even think twice about it and just email her and ask her if she'll be on our show. And then she said, yes. Yeah, it was perfect timing because she has a book coming out, which I just, I had read her book years ago, her, one of her first books, um, mm-hmm. in, Entwined Lives. And it was great and taught me so much about twin twinship and the different types of twins. And I just, I've known about her for years. So when she just said, yes, I'll be on your podcast, I was super excited. Yes. So she's going to discuss with us what the results of our DNA test mean. And we also talk with her about her twin research and her most recent book, which is called Deliberately Divided, um, where she delves into the heartbreaking cases of twins purposely separated at birth and secretly studied by researchers and psychoanalysts. So if you're out there and you're listening to this and you have watched the documentary called Three Identical Strangers, you'll know about this case. It's the Louise Wise Adoption Agency in New York that um, in the 60s, divided twins and triplets on purpose for for the sake of science which we yeah Yeah. I don't want to give anything away I almost said a spoiler so if um, you haven't watched that documentary we highly recommend you go watch that and then um I I would also recommend you're going to want to read her book because she goes into more details about it so if you've already watched it you understand how compelling it's such a controversial thing that they did and so interesting that they got away with it and she kind of goes into the background of what happened like she really does her research yeah she was she seriously was an investigative reporter even though that's not what she does really but in this book she does she becomes that she talked to people who were from different countries in person she wasn't scared to call people up that were involved in this study back then and and ask for answers. <laughs> oh, she, she talked to so many different people. And what I like about her book is that she starts each chapter with, mm-hmm. we got the audible version of it. So they, mm-hmm. I don't get to see it. I, I would like to have a hard copy of the book eventually because first of all, there's pictures in there. But second of all, in the audible, she lists all the people that she interviewed for this chapter. So before mm-hmm. she even says a word of mm-hmm. what that chapter is about, she lists the names of the people. And mm-hmm. there's so many people. Every chapter has new people that she interviewed. And mm-hmm. she just, she got around. I don't yeah. know if she had time to do that when she runs the twin studies where yeah. she lives. And she, you know, is a uh, professor. And she's the perfect person. She's so qualified to write this book because she spent her whole career studying twins and not just twins, but twins that were separated at birth for various reasons. And so, of course, she'd be interested in what these people did and did it very unethically, separating people on purpose. But um, it's just it's an it's a great interview and I'm super excited about it. Yeah, it's fascinating and you're really going to enjoy it if you care at all about twins, which we're assuming you do, or you wouldn't be listening to this. So here we go. Please enjoy. Well, welcome to the show. Um, that's so nice of you to agree to meet with us. We're oh, my, my, my pleasure. And I'm so glad that you listened to the book. How was the, how was the recording? Oh, it was great. really good. Yeah. I was getting great. so excited listening to it this week. Okay. Well, Katie, you want to go for it? Yes. So today we are interviewing Nancy Seagal, PhD, and she is an expert on twins. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say. Okay. (laughs) So we are honored that she has agreed to come on our show. And so um, we would like her to introduce herself and kind of tell us a little bit about the research she's done on twins. Well, my name is Dr. Nancy Siegel. I'm a psychology professor at California State University, Fullerton, and I specialize in twin studies. I have founded and direct the Twin Study Center on the campus, which supports my research and that of my students and serves as a kind of clearinghouse, disseminating information to the concerned public. I have written seven books on twins. They're all on wow. my website, which is Dr. That's Dr. Nancy Siegel, twins.org. Siegel is S-E-G-A-L. And my most recent one, Deliberately Divided, 
inside the controversial study of twins and triplets adopted apart is really an exciting topic, and I know that we're going to discuss it today. Yes. So I'm I'm ready to share whatever I can to, for interested twin listeners out there. <laughs> yes, fantastic. Well, that's mostly what we have. So, um, so we sent you a copy of our DNA test where we finally found out that we are identical, so that we aren't telling people falsely all these years but there was some besides the fact that we are 99.99 whatever it was percent chance that we are identical there was a whole bunch of other numbers and letters on that page maybe you can explain that to us at all yeah I can explain some of it so what they do is they looked here at 21 different what are called loci they call it a locus but loci is multiple and these are different DNA sequences that vary from person to person. And it would be extremely, extremely rare for two people to share all these 21 sequences in common. Mm -hmm. So then if you look at the different columns, column two and column three, where it puts mm -hmm. alleged twin, there's a sample for one of you and a sample for the other one. And they Got talk it. about allele sizes. Now, one column on the left is identical for the two of you, and the column on the right is identical to the, for the two of you, but each column is not identical to each other. And that's because you inherited one of these DNA sequences from mom and the other one from dad. And so, uh -huh. by, yeah, so by combining the probability that you would share this, um, they get a combined index of, let's see, I guess it's a, over a billion, uh, over a billion to one, the chance that you yes. would be a random person and share this. I mean, it would just be incredible odds. And so the conclusion, the only conclusion they can reach is that you are, in fact, identical twins. Yes. Okay, I get it. So they're not really telling us, oh, you're this identical as far as foot size, or it's nothing that specific. It's just like, here's your genes from your mom, and here's your genes from your dad, and here's compar comparing the two of you as individuals and how many of those genes you share, and it's like all of them. Right, all of them. But keep in mind, they only pick out 21 of all the you know, thousands of genes in your system. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, some things don't vary from person to person. These do, and that's why they pick them. Oh, and, okay. Yeah, yeah. So if you were fraternal twins, that is a non-identical twin like I am. I didn't mm -hmm. mention that. I'm a yeah. fraternal twin. Yeah. No, so, I know that. Yeah, but our listeners don't. Yeah. So my twin sister and I uh, did not have a DNA test. Well, we actually did have a DNA test done. And we also had a, a blood test done, which looks at probably 12 to 15 different blood markers. And again, it would be rare to match on those if you were a random person or a fraternal twin. And mm -hmm. she and I did not match on many of them. So we know for sure we're fraternal. But of course, we look so different that, you know, I'm four inches shorter than she is. My hair is straight. Hers is curly. Oh. I mean, we, just, we just look so different. So that... you pretty much knew you were fraternal anyway. Oh, oh yeah, we did. Yeah. We definitely yeah. did. Yeah. Well, and you said in your book, I think, that on average, fraternal twins, just like any other siblings, share about 50% of their DNA. Is that right? That's correct. That's right. It's 50% on average, which means that some twins and some siblings would share more and some twins and some siblings would share less, but it's 50% on average. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, and that makes sense because sometimes yeah. you see siblings that aren't twins and they look very much alike and you're thinking, oh, well, they must share a lot more DNA than average siblings. Well, it's possible, but you see, even if if siblings and fraternal twins look alike, they may look alike in physical traits, but they may be quite different in behavioral traits. That's so true. just by looking alike, I can't conclude that they share half their genes, that maybe they right. share 25, but only the ones relevant to appearance. Right. So you still have to do the science paperwork. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. You always do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Well, that's exciting. So we're glad that we're not frauds. No. I mean, I looked at your photographs on the website and you looked very identical to me. And I think it would be unusual for non-identical twins to look that much alike. I have in the past studied a couple of pairs that looked a lot alike who were fraternal. Mm -hmm. And I was shocked when the DNA and blood mm -hmm. groups came back to discover they were not identical. But nevertheless, that's what I mean by fraternals can look a lot alike and still differ behaviorally and differ by quite a bit of their DNA. I see. 
Well, and I think it was interesting in your book how you were talking about the ways in which people determined twin types has changed so much over the years. And that makes sense to me because we were born in 1973 and our understanding is that the main way to decide if it's identical or fraternal at that time was by how many placentas there were, which is not very accurate, right? Isn't it only like 25% accurate that that would be the case? I'm not even sure how I would assign a percentage to that, but it's, you're right. It's not an accurate method. And that is because fraternal twins always have two placentas and two sets of fetal membranes called the chorion and the amnion. Mm-hmm. But in, in about 50% of the cases, they fuse and get the superficial appearance of one. Uh-huh. Now with identical twins, about one third of them have separate amnions, separate chorions, and separate placenta, just like fraternals. And then about two thirds have um, a joined placenta and and a joined uh, chorion. And then some rare twins have one placenta, one amnion, one chorion. So you really can't tell purely from placental inspection. You will get some misleading results. Right. So do you think that they just didn't, the science of this didn't catch up with the medical field right away? I think that that is possible. I think that is possible. But I'll tell you, honestly, sometimes I meet physicians who are unaware of this placental arrangement in twins. I'm, I'm just mm-hmm. really shocked by it. So I think it's something that many people just still don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they suggested to our mother when she came back weeks later and said, hey, it's not written down if they're identical or fraternal. How do I know? And they suggested that she do a skin grafting test on us to find out. Is that gross or what? Um, Well, it would have been accurate. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because in 1941, there was a pair of twins born in in Freiburg, Switzerland. And at the same night, same night, same hospital, a single boy was born. And somehow this misguided nurse switched one twin with a little single boy and sent one of the twins home to the single boy's family and sent one twin and the unrelated boy to the twins family and the twins family thought they had fraternal twins now when the boys were about five or six they ended up in the same school and of course the physical resemblance between the two twins who were raised apart was striking everybody noticed it and so in those days that was probably about 1946 because they were five or six years old and the doctor did a skin graft and it was the first time they ever did a skin graft to determine the twin type and the only skin graft that that took that was healthy among the different pairs of boys it was between the identical twins wow okay so that was that was a real science but our our mother chose not to do it (laughs) yeah yeah i think that was probably wise probably you know the interesting thing is that i find that parents are probably the worst judge of twin type and that's because parents (laughs) are very sensitive to the subtle differences between twins and they can look at their two children and think they look completely different and then I'll take a look at them, someone who does not know them. Yes. And, and I'm, a better, I'm a better judge because I can see right away that they look so much alike. Yes. We feel like we haven't looked that identical since we were young. Really? Well, I have news for you. You look very identical. <laughs> okay. Well, we like to hear that because we do enjoy being twins. And we I, I get frustrated when people come up to us and ask if we're related. I'm just mm. like, we are twins. <laughs> we're more than related. Yeah, of course. I know people often ask very silly questions, sometimes insensitive ones, too. They'll go to, to a mother and say, were they natural or did you do them in the laboratory? Or they'll ask oh, who's yeah. the yes. smarter one or who's the prettier one. Yes. And these are very, very insensitive questions. But people are fascinated and intrigued by twins. And I think yeah. that's the reason behind those questions. They are. Right. And, 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 and it's easy. Even, yeah. I was just going to say, even when I started dating in high school, I, I liked this boy and he said something negative. Like, I think he was trying to compliment me and say the reasons why he liked me over my sister. I think he was trying, he had good intentions. I think he was trying to make it known. Like, I don't like both of you. I like you. So, but he said that, um, I had a more feminine voice than my sister. And then I didn't like him anymore. Cause I felt <laughs> like he was insulting my sister and that's just not okay with me. <laughs> well, th- that's absolutely right. You know, I think that what you hit on is a very important point that when identical twins date it's very important for the other twin and the twin themselves to be comfortable with the relationship of the outsider to the twin yes. um, 
very, very, very important. Yep. Yes, I agree with that statement for sure. And the other thing that, that you raise that's interesting, and this is something I've heard from many twins, and it's that when people date twins, mm-hmm. they often will say that I like twin A, but there's no way I could go for twin B. Mm-hmm. And and I used to think it really didn't matter. I figured you're genetically interchangeable. Who cares? But right. it matters. And I remember interviewing one twin, and he said that, I mean, one individual, and he said that his wife had a sweeter, gentler face than the other one. Now, I don't know what he was referring to exactly. They looked completely the same to me, yeah. but there was something subtle. And I think that this is information we could use to understand mate selection a lot more. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. What, attract, what attracts us and what doesn't. A right. very subtle little facial feature might make all the difference. You're right. Right. Oh, I think I think there's a lot to well, they say pheromones is most of it anyway. So maybe they, <laughs> you just have to like the way they smell. But um, but maybe well, would your pheromones be the same if you're identical? Sure. Sure they would. Really? And they may not be exactly the same, but they'd be pretty similar. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. So our babies could confuse us. They could. Yes, they could. So but I am um... too old for that now. Katie and I were debating before you got on the line because um, I thought I read a long time ago that your fingerprints would be different even if you're identical twins. And Katie's saying she read in your book that they would be the same. No, or no. Similar. They would be, for identical twins, they would be more alike than fraternals. But oh. they're not absolutely identical because fingerprints are, are developed fairly early on after conception. And they're subjected to all kinds of pressures in the womb, temperature, the fluid, mm-hmm many, many things. And so they are more similar and identicals. When we talk about fingerprints, we talk about two aspects. We talk about what's called the, the total fingerprint ridge count, which is the number of lines across the 10 fingers. Mm-hmm. And we also talk about the pattern types, the three main being an arch, a loop, and a whirl. And so identical twins tend to match more on both of those, but it's not perfect matching. In other words, if one twin went out and robbed a bank, you couldn't pin it on the brother. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good because you never know what Julie's going to do, huh? That's right. That's <laughs> uh, funny. Okay. Well, I, we were, we're anxious for you to talk about your book. You know, we've we've listened to it on Audible a little bit. And um, we, we want to hear from you uh, just an overview of your book and why people should go out and buy it right today. Well, the book, uh, Deliberately Divided, is a very in-depth overview, but in a very readable form. It's not a hardcore science book. It's a readable form made for the public. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it describes a study that was done in New York City in the 1960s and 70s by two very prominent psychoanalysts, Dr. Viola Bernard, who was a psychiatric consultant to the Louise Wise Adoption Services, and Dr. Peter Neubauer, who was the head of the Child Development Center run by the Jewish Board of Guardians. And what they did was Louise Louise Wise, under Dr. Bernard's direction, separated twins, newborn twins given up for adoption. It was all, uh, these were all Jewish twins. It was mainly a Jewish organization. Mm -hmm. And they were placed in different adoptive homes because Dr. Bernard felt that twins would develop better apart from their sister or brother would develop their own identity, would not overburden parents. And if they should meet as adults, their identity would be formed and they'd get along much better. Now, there was no scientific backing for this whatsoever. She Mm -hmm. would refer to the child development literature at the time. That was as specific as she got. There is no such child development literature at the time. I wouldn't think so. There isn't. So anyway, um, there were five sets of identical twins who were separated and one set of identical triplets. We also know of three or four fraternal pairs who were separated, but they were not studied. Mm-hmm. At any rate, the twins were studied under the direction of Dr. Peter Neubauer. And the way it worked was that parents were told when they got the child that your child is in an adoption study. And they basically made it clear that if you don't allow the child to stay in the study and have visitors to your home fairly frequently, you're not going to get the kid. Now, these were parents with money. Mm-hmm. desperate to have children, of some course. even requested twins, and were told, well, the twin isn't available, when in fact they were. And these right. children were studied and followed until they turned about age 12. And so you have to ask yourself, what is the moral framework mm-hmm. that allowed them to do this? I mean, 
legally, they didn't really break laws, but morally, to me, they crossed some very, very dangerous lines. And I have a very good chapter in there where I interview lawyers and ethicists who mm-hmm. all come down on that same point. I have life histories of every one of the pairs in the study and some of the fraternals as well. You know, how they met, which is fascinating, how they developed their relationship, what they're doing now. And these are twins and families who are angry and sad. I mean, the fact that this celebrated relationship was just rudely taken from them. Oh, it was stolen from them. They were guinea pigs, basically, in the scientific project that never came to fruition. It's just horrendous. And I also talk about the failed media attempts to expose the study. 60 Minutes made two attempts to get them on, which never worked. And then some of their failed attempts at book publication. I talk about two. And I interview a number of their colleagues who really defended them um, and, and really defended them even without knowing much about the study. I was surprised that, see, a lot of it was shrouded in secrecy because they kind of knew at some level, I think, they yeah, had to. what they were doing was not quite right. Right. And so when people began to get very in, interested in informed consent procedures in the late 70s, uh, it made them awfully nervous. So anyway, I think that the book had to be written for a number of reasons. First of all, I'm sure that many of your listeners, and maybe you too, have also seen the movie Three Identical Strangers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I rushed to the theater when it came out. Right. I did too. And I do have a chapter on those triplets in the book. Yeah. And so um, that film really sparked my interest all over again in this topic. Yes. And then the woman, a woman who had done another documentary called A Twinning Reaction, mm-hmm. said, and I'm in that film, actually. Oh, she said, great. She said, you know, you should really take my materials and write a book. And I wondered about it. And I thought I should for two reasons. I should write this book because it is an episode in the history of twin research and the history of psychology and needs mm-hmm. to be exposed so that it never happens again. And I wanted to also get out the life histories of the twins so people would see they weren't just data, but real human beings whose lives were seriously affected yes. and who were trying desperately to try to get their records from the Yale archives. Apparently in 2000, no, I guess it was maybe 1999, 2000, the records were sealed at the Yale University archives not to be released until 2065. So people like me can't see them, but the twins are adamant. And some twins have been successful and have gotten a part of it through the efforts of some attorneys mm-hmm. who are working pro bono on their behalf. But wait, are they only able to see their own study on themselves or are they allowed to see everything? They're only allowed to see their own. They're allowed to see their twins if the twin signs a release form. Got it. Well, yeah. um, you said earlier, not to interrupt, but um, you said earlier that it wasn't illegal to separate twins and multiples at that time. Is it now? I don't think it's illegal because every once in a while a case comes across my desk. It's strongly recommended to keep twins together. Okay. I don't I think there may have been a law passed in New York at one point, but it might have been more of a regulation to keep twins and siblings together because remember that adoption services have have placement discretion you know if if a, if siblings don't get along or something like that mm-hmm. they might feel that it's in the uh, twins best interest I mean, the only time i ad- ever advocated twin separation was when a pair of fraternal twins were born to a mother who was infected with with um uh what was it was it was some sort of a venereal disease and so one of the twins was born C-section, but one was born by passage through the birth canal and suffered horrendous uh, brain disorder. Oh, no. And and so she really couldn't interact with the twin. I mean, she was basically at, at age eight, she had the mentality of a, of a six-month-old. Mm. And I felt that that was something that the child shouldn't have been burdened with. But that's a very exceptional case. Right. Very exceptional case. So they were they were within their legal limits but just because you can do something does not mean you should right absolutely now you mentioned that um several shows have tried to get them on to talk about the the program do you mean dr viola bernard and dr neubauer they tried to get them or just anyone associated with the case no they tried to get dr viola bernard dr neubauer and some of their associates way back in the 60s and 70s mm-hmm even the 80s, in the 80s too, 
when this project was was in progress, but they resisted. And there, there's two chapters in there that talk about this. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, when, let's see, I guess it was 2016 or I, I can't remember, 2018, I guess, yeah, 20, yeah, it had to been 2018 when the films came out. Um, so people, a, a group of Peter Neubauer's defenders wrote a letter of protest to CNN that aired the film and to um, the Oscars, you know, complaining about the film. And then somebody else wrote a protest letter to the Emmys. Um, I investigated these very carefully. It's unlikely that these letters had any effect on those films not winning awards. But again, you never know. Uh, you just never know. But oh, it seems unlikely given the dates. It seems unlikely. I thought uh, both those films were wonderful, The Twinning Reaction and Three Identical Strangers. So now you said, because um, I found an article um, that you wrote in 2018 about um, Justin Gold, or Goldberg, Goldberg. Yes. yes, that, um, you know, his, sorry, his teenage daughter was in the L.A.'s farmer's market and saw her father's twin and filmed him secretly because she was too embarrassed to go talk to him. But now he was part of the twin study or he was just a twin that was also... No. Um, separated from the no. same adoption agency. I, I'm glad you brought up the case of Justin Goldberg because I mm-hmm. have a whole chapter on him in the book as well. Now, what happened with Justin Goldberg was that he is not a twin. He's a single child, but he was a Louise Wise adoptee and Jewish and adopted in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And so when you hear about this study, you immediately think, could I have a twin? Right. And that is something that the investigators were a little bit worried about. They wanted to protect themselves from all these people inquiring yes so what happened was as you say his teenage daughter was at the farmer's market in los angeles and saw someone who looked like her father's double and i had seen that picture it's in the book and they look remarkably alike and so he began to do all this research to see if in fact he was a twin it turned out he wasn't but he did make a contact with his biological mother oh the the fascinating thing too is that justin had a younger sister julie who was also adopted from louise wise And he described Julie's looks as kind of unusual. And one day when he was walking around Los Angeles, he saw a woman who looked exactly like her. And so immediately I was thinking, my God, what if they're both twins? And they were put in one home and and their co-twins are put in another home. I mean, it's the same home. Yeah, exactly. But that turned out not to be the case. She's not a twin either. But given what went on, you know, this, this, ferocious interest in genetics and environment. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say ferocious. I'm interested in all that too, but it's just that they they so wanted to settle the nature-nurture question yeah. that they were willing to go to any kind of, yep. um, take any kind of steps in order to do that. And it seems to me that if they found two twins like that, it, it, it wouldn't have been a big deal for them to have put a from one and A from the other yeah. in the same home and B yeah. from one and B from the other in right. the same home and followed them longitudinally. Yeah, Right, but as you just said, if it's so important to find out the question of nature versus nurture and they did all this, we went to so much trouble and put people out and kept secrets to do this study and then nobody's benefiting from it because it's a big secret and it's locked down. I don't get the purpose. Like how did Neubauer and... Bernard benefit from this if nobody gets to see the results? Yeah, well, you see, they didn't. And I think that initially, in the days when they began the study in the 60s and early 70s, informed consent and privacy and confidentiality were not really issues. I mean, psychoanalysts were very careful to preserve the confidentiality of their subjects. They wrote about them a lot, but changed names or things like that. They hid certain details. And, and people do that today, too. If you want to get something important out there, you mm-hmm. you have to conceal the details. But there was much less concern with informed consent in those days. And so I think they really didn't think about it. Now, oh. they thought because no previous study had ever looked at twins adopted apart in infancy, the other weird apart twin studies that all looked at adults who met later in life mm-hmm. and had to reconstruct their childhoods. So, I mean, the, the idea of it is fantastic, but it's completely morally unethical. It is an undoable study, which right. they did. Yes, and, they can't so, undo the damage that they did. Ex- exactly. And so when they 
separated these twins, they thought they could solve the nature nurture question. But see, they couldn't because their numbers were much, much too small. And all they could they could, could have done maybe was added an interesting footnote to the much larger literature, which you know uses adoptees and twins raised apart and twins raised together and all kinds of interesting genetic and environmentally informative combinations to conclude that genetics plays a much more important role in our development than anyone ever would have thought. Now, the other thing they did that was completely misguided was they didn't study fraternal twins. And fraternal twins are a very important part of a twin study. It's the ideal comparison group because they're also the same age, but they share only half their genes. And so by eliminating them, they had no basis for comparison. So Sure, the similarities they found in the identical twins are of interest, but what if they found them in fraternal twins too? Mm -hmm. It would have been of less interest. And see, um, they did write a couple of case studies. They never wrote the book they wanted to write, but they did write up a couple of case studies. And it's very hard to know which pair they're talking about. I see elements of many pairs combined into these individual cases. And so it may be that they made a composite pair right. with different combinations. And the other interesting thing is there is a study that's referred to as a twin study by one of Peter Newbarrow's colleagues who would be in a position to know. I took out that study. I got it from the library. And it does not say the word twin in there once, except in the reference list. It refers to matched samplings. And it kind of is written in a way that two kids in the same adoption agency who came at the same time and left at the same time or something like that. But to anyone who knows the background to these investigators, I'm positive those matched samplings, they call them, were twins. So how, speaking of that, so you're thinking they're specifically the twins that you know about, the five sets of twins and then the triplets. But do you, how many do you suppose that we don't know about because they haven't discovered that they were part of a twin study because they don't know they're twins? Well, well, that's an excellent question. And I think that we know about all the identical twins. And if you go to the Yale University archives, you can see that they have folders for child one through child, I guess it's child 11, because what happened was that's really four sets of identicals and one set of triplets. And that's, that's 11 children, four times two is eight plus three is 11. Mm -hmm. But they dropped one identical pair early on because they had very different adoption dates. But there could be a lot of fraternal twins out there that we don't know about because the parents would not have been told, the twins would not ever know, and fraternal twins do not look alike, and so they're probably not going to meet. Whereas I'd say probably 80% of the identical twins in that study met through mistaken identity where somebody confused one for the other. And some of those scenarios that I've captured in the book are absolutely amazing. Now there is a pair of fraternal twins that met in 2018 as a result of the movie, three identical strangers. Okay. And what happened there, these are the twins called Michelle and Allison. And Michelle was listening to the radio one day and they were talking about three identical strangers. And she knew that she was Louise wise adoptee from the sixties. So she thought, you know, maybe she's a twin. I mean, it's something you speculate on, but you don't sure. know seriously. But she put her DNA into a data bank, and mm-hmm. there was an immediate match to immediate family member. And so immediate family member means mother, father, or sibling. Mm-hmm. And so a sibling came up, and they had the same birthday. Wow. Yeah, and so they met each other, and they formed the most wonderful close relationship. One lived in New Jersey, one lived in California. Aww. They had, they had, they just were so happy to have met one another. And I'm sure they're sad and, and angry about what happened, but they've really handled it so beautifully. But the really sad and unfortunate part is that they only had two and a half years together because Michelle passed away from pancreatic cancer just last June. Aww, and so poor what... Allison, you know, went through all of this and now lost her sister again. Oh gosh. So yeah. And they were the loveliest ladies, just the loveliest ladies, really. Yeah. That is so tragic. If I didn't get to be raised with Julie, that would just, it would be a whole different life. I mean. Completely. Or if it's say in rare part twins, if, if you had switched families, your mm-hmm. whole life would have been completely different. That's I mean, true. It, it was people really playing God with people's lives. And yeah. certainly, you know, ordinary adoption agencies make their best guess as to which 
child would fit best into a family. And in a way, that's sort of playing God. But when you separate right. twins and mm-hmm. assign one to one family, one the other, and think, God, what would happen if they were switched? I mean, it's really just a drastic kind of circumstance. Yeah. I mean, I can see how a psychologist might not understand that if they weren't a twin themselves, because they're just thinking for the data purposes, like it's fine. But I think us being identical twins and just knowing what we've meant to each other, to me, it's just a tragedy that they wouldn't get to know their their twin. Well, I agree with you. And actually, there was plenty in the literature to talk about the importance of twinship. People were aware that twins sometimes had difficulties, you know, competition or confused mm-hmm. identity. I mean, people knew about those, but there were ways of handling sure. things. You don't take twins and raise them apart. <laughs> Hardly. Nobody would have advocated that. But there was a large enough literature out there to inform these investigators that twinship was something special. And in fact, they tried to interest other adoption agencies in the New York City area to separate twins. And <gasps> they, they said, no, we won't. They're like, and, no way. And, and Viola Bernard referred to it as the quote unquote mystique of twinship. I mean, what a way to characterize it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So we were wondering, um, just speaking of your experience, because you've had decades of experience in um, looking at twins and the nature versus nurture. So if somebody like us, now that we know that we're identical and we share the exact same DNA, so did, would you say that how much of your, I guess I, my question is how much of your DNA controls your personality, like your likes and your dislikes and your intelligence okay. in your opinion? Okay. Well, first of all, let me say that we we have determined through many twin studies and adoption studies mm-hmm. that when it comes to intelligence, about 75% of the individual differences from person to person are tied to their genetic differences. 50% for personality and 30% for job satisfaction. Yeah. But if you take a single person, you cannot slice apart their intelligence or personality and assign a genetic or environmental causation because Mm. the two are inextricably intertwined in a person. So when we hear these numbers bandied around, I think people, I think that the journalists sometimes are not careful in how they present it. It does not refer to a person. It refers to a population. Mm. And in a population, personality could be 50% genetically influenced. But in a single person, let's say a child was severely abused as a child, Mm. then a lot of his personality would be probably... A trace to that treatment. Yes, sure. of course. Well, yeah, of course. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me, what you're saying. And especially you were talking about twins rare to part, how they, they oftentimes find out that they, um, they have the same brand of some random brand of toothpaste that they use or whatever. Um, and, and that is striking because that's so weird. But also, I was thinking about twins raised together. Sometimes I feel like our differences are accentuated, whereas when you meet your adult twin that you didn't know you had, you're looking for similarities, whereas everybody in our lives is always trying to say, oh, well, you're the one that's good at art, or you're the one that's better at sports. And because we were reared together, uh, like, for instance, with art, people said that she was good at art. So then I let that be her thing. I was like, okay, I'm not the artist. That's her. And so I stopped doing art. Yeah. I understand exactly what you're saying. And I think you're absolutely right that when twins are raised together, they form a relationship in regard to one another. So one maybe is a little more dominant, one a little more submissive. You have to kind of create a niche in your family, but you're still very much alike, but people need to see the differences. People need to distinguish between two individuals. When twins are raised apart, perhaps they become more of themselves in a sense. Mm-hmm. And you're right. There was a pair of reared apart twins we had in the study I did at the University of Minnesota, where they both favored this weird or unusual brand of Swedish toothpaste called Vatty Makem. And so it, what, what it does is it gives you a whole new way of thinking about choices. So mm-hmm. why would you pick something unusual? Well, maybe you, you like something exotic, like to impress people, or maybe you like the taste of the Vatty Makem. Who knows? But... The point is that it wasn't just a fluke. They were both doing it. I'm actually presenting a paper at the end of the month to the Japanese Twin Society where I'm talking about some of these similarities. And those same twins who both like the 
the Swedish toothpaste, they both used Brill cream when they met, but so does, you know, at that time, so did about 100, 100% of the male population. Yeah. not very impressive. It's when the twins match and very rare yes. abilities or, or behaviors or quirks. And also, we find these kinds of things occurring much more among identical twins than we do among mm. fraternal twins, much more. Yeah. Okay. But you think um, a person's interest in certain things um, is tied to your DNA in general? I, I do. I do. And I know identical twins sometimes have felt that they should differentiate and they start to pick different majors, but they end up going back to the same one because mm-hmm. it's what they like. Yeah, that's true. Not, I think we should not hold twins to higher standards and expect them to differentiate. If they like the same thing, I think they should do it. I see no problem with that. I think that as long as identical twins are happy, doing well, healthy, then mm-hmm. however they want to create their little culture is fine with me. Yeah. yeah, because that's what we've noticed about ourselves is that we have differences as far as things that we're good at, but generally our interests are the same. That's, uh-huh. that's the biggest similarity that we have personality wise is that we have a lot of the same interests and even found the same type of men attractive and, and like the same movies and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sure. And what's interesting is that the older twin literature and personality found the twins raised apart were more alike in personality than twins raised together for the reasons yeah. I mentioned before. The, the newer literature doesn't show that, but it could be the different inventories they're using, whatever. But anecdotally, I must tell you that when I talk to twins together, I find that one usually is more outgoing than the other. But when I talk to them individually, I don't know who I'm talking to because they, they become more of themselves in a sense yes, when yes. they're not with each other. It, they're, they're, they don't have the relationship component. Exactly. That, yeah. makes, that makes a lot of sense. In fact, yeah. when I was listening um, to your your book on audible i would you mentioned the giggle twins and the study that you did at the university of minnesota right i specifically remember seeing that on tv i don't remember like what television special it was on but every time there's anything about twins our mom always calls us and says you got to tape 60 minutes or whatever it is you know because they're doing a thing on twins so i'm assuming that that's that footage is from your study if it was Minnesota, it certainly was. And we were in many, many television shows on Nova, yeah. the Today Show, Good Morning America, many, many, many things. Okay. And, yeah. Now, um, I want to get back just a moment to the enthusiasm that Dr. Neubauer and Dr. Bernard had mm-hmm. for settling nature nurture question, because I want to point out that I'm also doing a perspective study, an ongoing real time study on young Chinese twins who've been adopted apart. Mm-hmm. And these are twins who were separated indirectly through the one-child policy that was in place in China from 1979 right. to 2015. Now, I don't get them exactly at birth. I think my youngest pair is three. But I studied them with the full consent of their parents and the twins. Some of the twins are older now, and they've been taking part in my studies. And I have published a paper on them. But the study is ongoing. So if any of your listeners um, have any interesting stories about Chinese twins separated at birth, or any any twins at all. I, I love interesting stories. And yeah. I've already got two more books contracts lined up. So I'm oh, very right. excited. Yeah. Yeah. That must be so fascinating what you do. Yeah, yeah. I love what I do. It's really, I found twin research so informative mm-hmm. professionally and so mm-hmm. engaging personally. I just can't think of a better job. I really can't. And Cal State Fullerton has been a very supportive place in which to work. I've been very happy there. I'm so glad. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that the way that your book reads, because I have that in my notes as something to mention to you, um, because your book very much reads like a documentary. It's not too scientific. It's like, I love books like that, that just, you're you're a very good storyteller. I mean, obviously, you've written a lot of books, but um, I can't wait to finish it, because not only because of the way that you write it, but just all the things you talk about in it. I'm just fascinated. I, I can't wait to find out what I want to find out all the things that you learned about those five sets of twins yeah. and triplets from the Louise Wise study. Yeah. Well, you you will find out. And um, if you have it in your heart to give me a couple of five stars on Amazon. Oh, my gosh. Of course. That. Absolutely. That would be wonderful. That would yes. Be wonderful. And I went back because I, I had had your entwined lives book. Oh, yeah. My first ago. one. Yeah. yeah I my first one. I, I think it might have been like 20 years ago or something. Does that oh. sound right? It was published in 1999. Yeah. So that's about right. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, 
And so I got it at a multi- Mothers of Multiples convention that my sister and I were on a panel oh. speaking at it for the these mothers of these young twins and multiples. And I read it right away. As soon as I came home from that convention, I read it cover to cover. And then I couldn't find it. We've moved several times. Oh. And so I just now got another copy of it. And then I got some of your other books because now I'm now I'm on a kick. I'm on a Nancy oh. Seagal kick. Oh. <laughs> Well, that's that's wonderful to hear. And, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions you have at any time. And I'm certainly happy to to broadcast your your podcast. Oh, thank <laughs> you so much. We love it. And anybody that's listening, I mean, you're so relevant to our show that I'm sure you're going to get a lot of interested people just from mm-hmm. from listening to you on our podcast today. Yeah. And I was so excited that you were coming on our show, especially listening to your book, because um and like I said, I haven't gotten that far into the book yet, but you were already talking about things, like we said, that we've already discussed on our podcast. Like when we did our show on Twins in Hollywood, we mentioned the three identical strangers because mm. we were riveted by it. But then you talk about that you met with a colleague that works on the show Long Lost Family, which I've seen every episode of that show. I'm fascinated with it. Uh, oh, so I didn't realize that that show broadcast in the U.S. That's yeah. in England. Oh, how about oh, that? Yeah, I've watched all of them and I love it. Um, probably because my husband's sister is adopted and he is not. And so I've always been curious about what would that be like if she met her biological family, which now she has. But uh, when I first started watching it, she had not contacted or found them. But right. um, I just think that show is fascinating. So, so you know somebody that, did you say, worked with the DNA component of that show of finding people's family? Um no, actually, they came to me to ask me about mm-hmm. Twins Raised Apart, mm-hmm. and they're actually working on something now on those Colombian twins that I wrote about in Accidental Brothers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the switched at birth, the double pair of switched at birth twins. So they're going to be on the show. I'm not sure what the progress is, but I was in touch with them and consulted with them for a while. Yeah, I'm really excited about that book. That one just arrived today. Wow. Yeah, that one is an amazing story. You know, a lot of stories cross my desk, and I love them all, but some of them I just cannot resist, and that was one. Yeah. Could not resist that one. And you also mentioned um, that when you were doing your study at the University of Minnesota, and you, was it 12 sets of twins that had been separated for various reasons? Oh, oh no. At the, at the University of Minnesota, we studied 137 sets of separate Oh, twins. okay. I'm sorry. You had a much wrong. more valid... Uh, range yeah oh yeah oh yeah but you mentioned one that they separated the twins that that obviously some were switched at the hospital I mean it's a variety of reasons for why they were separated it was accidental but um the one you mentioned where the couple was divorced and each took a twin yeah that we we had talked about that in one of our earlier podcasts that about the movie Parent Trap and how that was so unlikely of a premise because no parents would separate their twins and not tell them. And then you talked about that, that that actually happened. Well, I think that, yeah, that's right. What happened, I, I'd have to know the exact case you're talking about, but I do know of another family. I just learned about them. I know nothing about them. They're friends of friends. But mm-hmm. this is another case where parents divorced and each took one. It, it seems amazing that would happen in my book born together we're apart i do talk about a case where the parents had decided that they wanted the ideal family of a boy and a girl and what they did was they had a little girl and then they had identical boys and gave one away so they raised one and oh. not the other oh so strange that's very bizarre yeah, yeah. that is, <laughs> they, that is... They, they would give one of their fully biological children away just so they could have the boy girl thing yeah, exactly. It's it's hard to believe. And this was a family that had you know, plenty of resources. Money was not an option. Mm-hmm. Some preconceived notion about what the ideal family is looks like it just doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It seems to me, if you wanted a second child and they got mm-hmm. the boy they wanted, I mean, two boys are even better. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I know we're running short on time. I feel like I could talk to you for days because there are so many things that you know about that I, I want to know about. <laughs> uh, one, one thing, if you have just one minute, yeah. I just want to ask you, you both have children, is that right? Yes. yes. Yeah. I have one child um, because we have fertility issues. And um, so we just have one and then my sister has two. Okay. Well, you do know that your children are genetic half siblings. because yes. yes. Yeah. And that you are each not just the aunts of your uh, nieces and nephews, but you're also the genetic mommies. Yes, yes. We, we've talked about that with our kids, and they think it's very cool. They, and you know, 
Yeah, my son in like the third grade when he had his day to do like the star of the day and tell about himself, that was the first thing he said is that my cousins are more like half siblings than right. actual cousins. Right. You know, I um I do have a study. If if your listeners go onto my website and they just scroll down on the homepage at the lower left is a red box of all my studies and there's one called Twins Who Are Parents. And so I'm very interested. If you two want to do it too, it's no problem. It's all online. How you feel about your it's, it's how you feel about your nieces and nephews. Yes, we did that. Oh, yeah, you we asked. That. Yes, when oh, we right. first contacted oh, right. you, you yeah, asked we, us and we did it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, I just want to say I'm so excited about your book. It's an excellent book for anyone out there listening. If you have, if you've seen the movie Three Identical Strangers and you want to know more about this, I mean, you go into like a deep dive into the circumstances surrounding what happened at the time and even like with the mindset of how nature versus nurture was so huge and 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 how dr viola she was really a child advocate so i mean you look at it from all angles which i love and and i like that you say you're not going to tell your opinion about it until the very end and you know i don't it's an excellent read i can't wait to finish it and um we're just so excited that you're willing to talk to us and be on our show well it's it's my pleasure my pleasure anytime okay well thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your what day is this thursday it is it is the weekend's almost here (laughs) okay well thank you so much and uh we will definitely be in touch um we'll put your a link to your book and um, anything and else website? That, yeah, anything else you want us to put out there, we'll put links to it on our website. Okay, I will, I will um, send you some stuff and you'll send me the link so I can put it on Twitter, correct? Perfect. Yeah, we will. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay, okay. have a good one. Bye-bye. 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 So Julie, yes. what an amazing interview with Dr. Nancy Siegel. <laughs> that was really good. Well, I mispronounced her name the entire episode, and I apologized to her for that because <laughs> she even said it multiple times, and I still said it wrong. I know. Her. I know. So, anyway, I'm sorry for that. And That's okay. Um, I think I got it now. Dr. Yeah. Nancy Siegel. Siegel, not Seagal. Okay. <laughs> I got it. I got it. But anyway, anyway what a fun episode. Yes. And all the information that we talked about, tell us where we can find it. So you can find all the information from today's episode on our website, which is twintopiapod.com. And then just click on the link at the top that says episodes and you'll find all the information. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. You're welcome. All right. Have a fantastic day. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye.